Hello, it's the ghost. Welcome to Stranger World. If you're a fan of the strange but true happening in our world and the dark and mysterious goings-on, then you are in the right place. Halloween is approaching, and how many of you out there like the Scream movies? Well, how about this from the New York Daily News? The real-life monster who inspired those movies. A Daniel Harold Rowling. He sang a gospel hymn for his last act, which he performed in Florida State Prison's execution chamber. He was strapped to a gurney waiting for the injection that would end his life. Forty-seven people crammed into the witness gallery, including 16 whose lives were shattered when this monster snuffed out someone they loved. Prison staff cut his song short just after 6 p.m. Six minutes later, he got his shot. Officials declared him dead at 6.13 p.m. This was on October 25th in 2006. A relative of one of Rowling's victims told the Gainesville Sun that watching him disappear made her feel better. But Rowling did not really disappear that day. He lives on and on, at least in spirit. He's likely to be at the center of many parties around the country during this Halloween season. Rowling was the inspirational behind Ghostface, the nightmare slasher of the popular Scream movies. A series of horrific films at the University of Florida in Gainesville in August of 1990 earned him his date with the needle. On August 26th, two students, Sonia Larson, who was 18, and Christina Powell, who was 17, they were found dead in their shared apartment near the campus. Police had to break down a door to get to them. Both Larson and Powell were dead. They were repeatedly stabbed, their bodies mutilated. The killer left them in provocative poses, their arms extended above their heads. Eight hours later, deputies from the county sheriff's office went to the home of Krista Hoyt. She was 18. She worked as a dispatcher for the department. She hadn't shown up for her shift that day. They found Hoyt in her bedroom. Her mutilated body was posed as if she was sitting up, her hands on her thighs. However, her head was across the room, propped up on a bookshelf, looking out as if it was surveying the scene. Two days later, there were two more bodies. Roommates, Tracy Pauls and Manuel Taboda. Both were 23, and they were both killed in their apartment. Police had many reasons to suspect that these killings were connected. The women victims were young, and they were petite, they were also brunettes. They had all been sexually assaulted, stabbed, mutilated, posed, and then wiped down with a cleaning fluid. The killer entered through unlocked doors and unlocked windows. If they were locked, he used a pry tool to open them. For a short time, the investigation focused on a local college student with a nasty drug habit and a worse reputation. He landed behind bars after slugging his own grandmother, Still, investigators could find nothing to connect him, though, to these murders. A scan of criminal databases identified a cold case, a triple murder from November 1989 in Louisiana that had some similarities to the college town slaughter. Tom Grissom, 55, his daughter, Julie, who was 24, and his grandson, Sean, who was 8, they were all stabbed. The woman was petite and brunette. She was mutilated, posed in a sexual, suggestive manner, as in the Gainesville cases. 
Local citizens, they were stocking up on guns and mace and other weapons. Students put their studies on hold. They packed up and even went home. Crime experts mused about the possibility of a copycat following in the bloody footsteps of Ted Bundy. He was a well-educated, charismatic serial killer who was finally caught in Tallahassee. Police were looking for a facsimile of Bundy, but the dreaded Gainesville Ripper, as the press had dubbed him, didn't really fit that profile. They snagged Rowling as he was indulging in one of his favorite hobbies, armed robbery. His attempt to make off with the cash in a Winn-Dixie in Oscala was his downfall. He walked into the store during peak business hours and an employee called 911. Rowling led police on a high-speed chase after that until he crashed his own car and then tried to sprint off. But he didn't get away. The judge did consider his lengthy criminal record when he got the case, and this included multiple robberies. Also, it included an attempt to murder a police officer, the judge's police officer father. Again, all considered before he imposed a life sentence on the guy. A DNA test using a sample of Rowling's blood that was obtained during a tooth extraction provided a tentative connection to the murder. Other forensic tests later strengthened that link. Probes into Rowling's background revealed this classic recipe that a serial killer seems to have. First off, he of course had to have a miserable childhood. He had the abusive father. He was sexually molested by a relative, a cousin, nonetheless. A dismal school record was in his past, as well as a series of illnesses, random, but constant. And a key ingredient that there was a fall in which he hit his head, and after he hit his head, he was never quite the same. So already we're starting the idea, was this bread, or did this happen maybe because of his head injury? What causes one to be a serial killer? That question's still out there. And with Rowling, there's more question for cause. Later, he began to use drugs. He had jail time. He was in a marriage that was very troubled, and eventually he was divorced. Rowling couldn't resist telling his cellmate about the murders that he supposedly did. After several interviews with a writer who became so interested in him and everything that he was, she proposed that maybe he become a media star. Then he offered detectives a detailed confession of rapes, murders, and all before the Gainesville rampage. In another surprise move, this guy pleads guilty at his trial. And even more weird, this trial started the day after Valentine's Day. And with all of that behind him, eventually he is sentenced to death. During his dozen or so years on death row, Rowling wrote and created artwork for murderabilia websites. Have you heard of those? Meanwhile, the Gainesville Massacre became fodder for the growing field of true crime TV. After watching a special about Rowling, a young actor and writer, Kevin Williamson, banged out a script based on the crime. Well, Miramax ends up buying this work for $400,000. Well, this teen horror comedy launched both a highly successful movie franchise as well as Williamson's career. Scream and its sequels have been credited with reviving the dying art of the horror film. But on the dark side, the movie was also blamed for inspiring a few budding young rippers. 
It would be difficult not to notice the path of events that unfolds here. First, we have a major criminal who's done, seems like, everything under the sun. He finally reaches his end of his heyday and ends up sentenced to death. And in all of that comes one young writer, and his career is boosted to the beyond. This is how the cycle of life works. And it would seem that most things do involve the whole good versus evil. So what do you think of that path? Have you seen the Scream movies? And did you know this? The actors in the Scream movie did not have the ending. If you didn't know the small tidbit, the actors had no idea who actually was or were the killers. So thinking it could have been themselves, they just had to go along, play their part, until at the end of everything they were given the details and they could finish the movie off. So it just added one final piece to the creepy mystery around all of this. Are you a fan of Scream? Thank you for listening, and I will talk to you all soon.